Welcome back to the Fit Minute Podcast, fitness for real people, with your host, Gabrielle Mazar. Gabrielle Mazar. On today's episode, Gabrielle interviews Paul Shapiro, the CEO of Better Meat Company and the author of Clean Meat, How Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner and the World. They discuss better meat and some fascinating topics, including farming, sustainability, environment, health, and how eating less meat can change the world. And now here's your host, personal trainer and stretch therapist, Gabrielle Mazar. Gabrielle Mazar. Welcome back to the Fit Minute Podcast, Fitness for Real People. I'm your host, Gabby Mazar, and on today's show, I have Paul Shapiro, the CEO of The Better Meat Co. and author of the bestseller, Clean Meat, How Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner and the World. Uh, he's also a four-time uh, TEDx speaker and host of the Business for Good podcast. So welcome to the show, Paul. Hey, thanks, Gabby. Great to be talking with you. Yeah, so uh, let's talk about Better Meat Co. Um, so you uh, create alternatives to meat with the Better Meat Co., correct? Uh, yeah, that's right. So we're creating meat experiences that don't involve animals. So if you think, Gabby, about, let's say, uh, how for thousands of years, the only way we had to get ice was out of nature, uh, with going, you know, harvesting big blocks of frozen ice out of frozen lakes and rivers. Uh, but then we invented technology that allowed us to create ice that fulfills the same purpose, but it's made through human-made technology. And that's the same thing that we are trying to do here at the Better Meco is do better ways of producing meat experiences for people than what we've done in the past. So your <laughs> product is made from the Rhizo microprotein. Uh, explain what that is and how it creates meat. Your sure. Meat. So, <laughs> yeah, sure. So think about it like this, Gabby. If you walk into a room and you flick on a light switch, what you're after is an illuminated room. You're not caring so much about whether it comes from solar or whether it comes from oil or from gas or from coal or from wind, like you just want light. You're not thinking about the provenance of that energy source. And I think the same is so when most people eat meat. When people eat meat, they're not thinking, ah, oh, I'm so glad an animal was slaughtered for this. Uh, if anything, if you think about it, you may prefer that an animal not be harmed in order to make that meat. And so there's lots of ways to recreate the meat experience without animals. What we do here at the Better Meat Co is we run a microbial fermentation where we take little microscopic fungi and we feed them. We feed these little microscopic fungi things like potatoes and corn. And just in the same way that a cow eats grass and converts that grass into a steak, our little microscopic fungi convert things like potatoes and corn into something that ultimately looks like a steak. The difference of course, is that a cow takes more than a year of feeding her before you get that steak. Whereas we can get that steak within less than one single day. So this is a way to produce meat that is far more efficient, a tiny sliver of the land and the water and the greenhouse gas emissions needed to make our kind of meat. And of course, you're not harming animals in the process either. So what was your kind of inspiration for creating this and making the Better Meat Co. and all of your products? Sure. Well, if you think about it, Gabby, the planet just isn't getting any bigger. Humanity's footprint on the planet is getting a lot bigger, but the planet itself is not getting much bigger. And so we don't have the luxury of farming the moon or farming Mars. We only have one celestial body to farm. And humanity already is eating more meat than ever before. 
And we have nearly 8 billion of us on the planet today. And projections show that within the next 30 years, we're probably going to add another couple billion people to the planet. So how are we going to produce all of this meat that people seem to want to eat without a bigger planet? Because we already know that meat consumption today is the number one driver of deforestation, wildlife extinction. It's a major contributor to greenhouse gas emissions and climate change and more. So if we're not going to deforest the rest of the remaining forests that we've left intact on our planet, how are we going to satiate humanity's meat tooth? And the answer is to divorce animals from meat production. And so I wrote a book on this topic that you kindly mentioned. It's called Clean Meat, How Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner in the World. And that book explores the race between the entrepreneurs and the investors and the scientists, all who are all racing to bring the world's first slaughter-free meat to market. And after writing the book, I had the decision to make. Did I want to keep on writing about the people who I thought were going to solve this big problem, or did I want to just become one of them myself? And I chose the latter, and that's why I started the Better Meat Co. in 2018. Very cool. So you already mentioned that you're reducing the footprint on uh, emissions and farming and all of that. What other ways um, does your product help with environmental issues and sub uh, sustainability? What are the benefits? Sure. Well, we know that uh, raising animals for food is not only a major environmental uh, problem from all the reasons that I just mentioned. Again, the number one cause of deforestation on the planet. It's creating pasture land for, for farm animals and cropland to feed farm animals. But it's also a major contributor to pandemic risk. So the United Nations recently put out a report. And it's entitled Preventing the Next Pandemic. And the UN looks at what are the top reasons why we might have another pandemic. Number one on their list is increasing demand for animal protein because raising all these animals increases the risk of zoonotic diseases. Those are diseases that jump from animals into humans. And number two on their list is intensification of agriculture. So confining more and more animals in smaller and smaller spaces because most animals who are raised for food are locked up on what are commonly called factory farms. These are where the animals are living wing to wing or shoulder to shoulder or snout to snout. And it becomes an amplification uh, process where viral, uh, where viruses can become more amplified. And the third risk that the UN cites is the bushmeat trade, which is basically killing wildlife for their meat. So the top one, two, and three reasons the United Nations says we may have another pandemic all relate to humanity's desire to eat meat. And so even if you ignore the massive environmental degradation that is caused by the current meat industry today, just on pandemic risk alone, we really need to move away from raising and slaughtering billions of animals for food. In the same way, though, that we have moved away from print photography to digital photography, it doesn't mean moving away from the things we love. With digital photos, we still get the experience we want. We don't capture our memories so we can look back on them. And with meat, we can still enjoy the meat experience that people crave, but we're not going to get those photos with gelatin and print film chemicals and so on in dark rooms. We're going to do it in a way more efficient way with digital photography. Similarly, we can do away with things like factory farms and slaughter plants, but still have the meat that people want to eat and just be produced way more efficiently. So with this, these meats, first of all, what kind of better meat can you produce and grow? I mean, you said steak was one of the, your examples. What what other examples do you have for what you can actually grow and eat? So the microprotein that we're creating, Gabby, is a substrate on which you can make almost any kind of animal meat from steaks to chicken breasts, to crab cakes, to hot dogs, to sausages, to nuggets and more. And it is a remarkable thing because our microprotein, which you pointed out is called Riza, on its own, it's a whole food, 
We're not fractionating it or isolating it. It's not extruded. It's on its own, straight out of the fermenter, straight out of the fermenter. It has more protein than eggs, and it's a complete protein. It has more iron than beef. It has more fiber than oats, more potassium than bananas, and it naturally contains vitamin B12, which is typically void from the plant kingdom. And so here you have a food that is animal-free, takes a tiny amount of resources to produce, and from nutritionally as an unbelievable powerhouse, this could be the future of meat consumption because not only is it more environmentally friendly, not only does it taste great and it's really nutritious, um, but it really does cover a lot of the things that we love about meat without all the things that we don't like about it. It doesn't have saturated fat, it doesn't have cholesterol, um, and it doesn't subject animals to the kind of suffering that few people want to talk about. So it really is something that I think could be like the future of food. So you talked about uh, how it tastes. So typically when we think about, you know, like the impossible burger or any meat substitutes that are supposed to taste like meat, taste like meat, they don't have the same texture. They kind of taste meh, like it's not great. Can you tell me a little bit about like the, how the meat tastes and why it's so comparable to actual meat? Sure, Gabby. So think about it like this. All the products that you just mentioned have one thing in common. They're all made from plants. So if you think about it, like right now we get meat out of animals' bodies, right? And animals are in one kingdom. You have plants, which are an entirely other biological kingdom. They're all the way over here. So you got animals and you got plants, but they're really far apart from each other. So you have to do a lot to plants to get them to be more like animal meat. However, what we at the Better Meat Co are doing is not using animals and we're not using plants. We are using microscopic fungi and fungi are an entirely different kingdom. They're not animals and they're not plants, but they're also not right in the middle. They are way closer to animals than they are to plants. And so if you notice, like mushrooms tend to have a meatier texture than plants do. In fact, mushrooms have been used as a meat substitute in many Asian cultures for centuries. Uh, the problem with mushrooms is they're fantastic. I love them, don't get me wrong, but- no protein. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. They got no protein and they're pretty expensive to grow, honestly. So what we do is rather than growing mushrooms, we're growing microscopic fungi, which grow really fast, which are very high in protein and have a meat-like texture. And that's the real secret to what we're doing is we don't need to rely on plants, which require a lot of processing to make them look like animal meat and taste like animal meat, because we're using something from a kingdom that is way closer to animals than plants are. So how do you get it to taste specifically like a chicken breast or like a crab cake, a hot dog? Um, the flavor is really the easier part, uh, to be honest with you, Gabby. So um, you can use various yeast extracts to make foods taste like certain things. Mm -hmm. at, the same, at the same time, the texture is really the bigger uh, hurdle that there is to surpass. So for example, um, the X Prize, which generally does these multi-million dollar award contests um, for people to create things like reusable rockets or to do something relating to space, they now have a $15 million X Prize contest to create a chicken breast without chicken. So think about that. That's how hard it is to do. They're going to pay you $15 million if you can create a chicken breast without a chicken that really has the texture of the chicken breast. And so we at the Better Meat Co. have now been named a semifinalist in that contest. We're very glad we were in the uh, top 10% of companies that applied. We're now a second in the um, 
we're in that semifinalist and we hope to become a finalist. So uh, the taste is, is the less difficult part. The texture is the much more difficult part. So how do you get people, obviously, like, you know, the world is eating more meat than ever. How do you get people to one, know about your product and whether it's good or not, and two, to actually switch or eat less meat and eat your product? Yeah, great question. So, you know, you're raising a very important point that few people are, I think, are willing to accept. That is that despite all of the attention there is on the problems associated with lots of meat consumption, and there's been never more attention, there's never been more attention on that than now. Yet at the same time, meat consumption continues to rise. It's rising not just because there's more people on the planet, but also because on a per person basis, people are eating more meat. They're eating more meat in the United States. And importantly, they're eating more meat in places like China and India and Brazil and all the places that's gonna matter the most in the future, they're eating more meat per person today. And so I would love it if people wanted to, for example, eat more bean and rice burritos or more hummus or more lentil soup. That's awesome. I love those foods. I wish more people would eat them. But the reality is that humans seem to want meat. Um, it's, you know, the, as soon as people get money in their pocket, they start buying more meat. And so uh, what I mean by that is like in places, like I mentioned, like in China and India, as people escape poverty and they enter the middle class, one of the very first things they do is start buying meat more regularly. Mm -hmm. They couldn't afford it before because meat is the food of the affluent, whereas impoverished people generally can't afford meat. So uh, how do we actually satiate humanity's meat tooth then? If we accept the cards as they're dealt that people are gonna buy as much meat as they can afford, how can we create meat with a tiny fraction of the footprint? And that's what so many startups, including the Better Meat Co, are trying to figure out. And so we are just one player in this space, but it's going to take a lot of oars in the water. It's going to take companies like you mentioned, like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods, but it's also going to take companies like ours, which provide B2B ingredient solutions. So, you know, we don't have a brand that you're going to find on the shelf. We are a supplier of ingredients to these companies, and we offer them a way to make a more meat-like product than they could with just using plants alone. And so we're partnered with companies like Hormel Foods that to help them to use fewer animals and use uh, more animal-free protein. And that's what we're trying to do. And so by partnering with these big companies like Hormel Foods and Purdue Farms, which are two of our partners, we can actually have a much broader reach than we could if we were trying to go it alone. That's that's pretty impressive. I mean, to be partnered with such huge companies, I think that um, it could definitely be a benefit because one, their marketing is huge. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, you know, possibly replacing, you know, the Better Meat product or a be any better meat product uh, in, you know, some certain canned foods or other products that people don't necessarily know better meat, maybe. <laughs> hmm. Maybe that trick them kind of, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, our goal is to solve the problem. Uh, to us, it's less important who gets the credit or the recognition. Like the problem is just, let's put it this way. I think about it like, fossil fuels. The problem with fossil fuels is so severe. It's so urgent that you want lots of alternatives. You want wind, you want solar, you want geothermal and more. But most people couldn't name a single wind energy company. Uh, maybe they could name a solar energy company, but probably not. And I think the same is going to be so here. 
that very, we, the problem with fossil fuels is so bad you want lots of alternatives. Well, the problem with factory farms is so bad you want lots of alternatives. And that's going to mean alternatives from plants. It's going to mean alternatives from microbes. It's going to mean alternatives even from animal cells. There's lots of ways to uh, really, you know, uh, to peel this potato, so to speak. And I think that uh, microbial fermentation is a very impressive and important one, but it's not the only one. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about uh, your TEDx talks. Um, what exactly did you talk about on them and what do they address? Sure. So if you think about, for example, what happened with um, lighting in our country, if you go back 150 years, all of us would be lighting our homes pretty much with whale oil. We had a huge industry of boats that went out to go seek whales to hunt and kill so that we could light our homes. And there was a lot of concern about what was going on with whales. We were concerned that we were gonna re render them extinct even in the 19th century. There were letters to the editor, there were lots of people voicing sustainability concerns about what we were doing to the whales. Well, what ended up freeing whales from our harpoons was not sustainability concern. It wasn't that people cared about whales themselves. It was that a Canadian entrepreneur named Abraham Gesner invented and patented kerosene. And kerosene offered a much cheaper, more efficient, cleaner way to light our homes than did whale oil. And within just about 10 to 20 years after the patenting of kerosene, the whaling industry had been completely decimated. And what was once one of the biggest factors in the American economy, whaling, became an, archa an archaic relic of the past. And I think that something similar may happen with factory farming, that for a very long time, we have uh, gotten meat from animals' bodies, just like we got light from out of whales' bodies. Then an invention came along that was more efficient and cleaner and enabled us to get the same outcome, in this case, a meat experience or light, uh, without having to do so much harm. And it wasn't that anybody cared about chickens and pigs and turkeys and cows. It was that we had a better alternative that rendered the old system obsolete. And so I envision that just in the same way that we look back today on a whaling ship as a relic of an archaic past that we don't want to go back to, we are going to so too look back on slaughterhouses as a relic of an archaic past that we're glad to no longer be dependent on. And I think that many people will think about how glad they are that their ancestors, in this case us, created technologies that freed them from the need to engage in so much violence against animals and degradation of the planet. So in the same way that we are really glad that our ancestors developed ways that render us less dependent on horses. Uh, you know, if this had been a uh, hundred years ago, there'd be a lot of people who would be using horses to get around. Now we're very glad that we don't have to depend on the exploitation of horses to transport us and all of our goods because we came up with better alternatives. Well, I think that our descendants are going to be grateful that there were innovators in our era who created technologies that reduced our reliance on the exploitation of chickens and turkeys and pigs and cows and gave them better ways to feed themselves sustainably into the future. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, obviously, 100 years ago, we, we were not, you know, we didn't have, most people didn't have sewage or light or definitely not cars and the technology has a hundredfold become something so quick and changing. Um, I, I think 
what some people think about with kind of uh, this food that is grown would be that, you know, we have GMOs and we don't know what those do. We have uh, preservatives. We do know what those do. So tell me what's different about your product that isn't going to create, you know, that genetically modified 20 years down the road, people might be, I don't know, having issues with it. So what what's different about your product? Sure. Well, first and foremost, I'll say we don't use genetic modification. What we're making is an all-natural whole food created from fermentation. I will say, though, that despite the fact that we don't use any genetic modification, the scientific evidence does seem pretty clear that at least so far, there's not a lot of evidence that there's any health concerns with GMOs. At the same time, we don't use that. So it's almost it's irrelevant from our perspective. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, some people talk about farm to fork dining. Well, we talk about fermenter to fork dining. And so in the same way that you would, let's say, go to a beer brewery and you would see these large steel tanks and microbiologists there who are brewing your beer that you love. Uh, well, we're doing something very similar. What we're doing is also fermentation. It also involves steel tanks and it looks like a beer brewery, except we're not brewing alcohol, we're brewing meat. And so we are creating something that is in many ways similar to other types of food technologies that are currently used like beer fermentation, um, but with a different outcome. So we're creating protein instead of alcohol essentially. And so this is a, a food though that we're making that is not novel. It's not something that people haven't consumed before. It's just being fermented in a specific way that enables us to enjoy it in a more meat-like texture. And that is the real innovation of what we're doing. I, yeah, that's great. I think, because I think a lot of people are afraid to try that kind of stuff too, even though they eat, you know, canned food and stuff with all kinds of crap that they don't even know is in it. Something new. Oh, uh, I don't know what's in that, you know? Right. Yes. So it's hard, you know, yeah, (laughs) yeah, there is a lot of neophobia or fear of new things, but interestingly, you know, at the beginning, we were talking about using technology to create ice. And what's funny is that if you go back to the 1900s, the actual term they had for ice that was created through refrigeration rather than through nature was artificial ice. And the barons of the ice industry back then, there were barons or huge ice companies that shipped in insulated boats ice from uh, frozen lakes all over the world, even from America to India. Um, not for the Indians, for the, for the British colonists, by the way. Um, but uh, they referred to it as artificial ice and they railed against us that it was unnatural, unsafe, went against God, and that you shouldn't let your children eat it. You know, you fast forward to today and all of us have artificial ice makers in our homes. We, we call them freezers. We don't think there's anything unnatural about it at all. In fact, we would probably pre- be pretty hesitant to get ice from a lake right now uh, and, and consume it. So there is a way of uh, transformation where people become at least skeptical, if not downright afraid of new technology. But eventually it especially if it's cost effective, it does tend to get pretty widely accepted in practice. And I think that's what will end up happening. It may seem new and odd at first, but eventually it just becomes the norm. Yeah. So tell me, you also have a podcast, uh, Business for Good podcast. What is your podcast about and what do you talk about? What kind of guests do you have on it? Oh, that's really kind of you, Gabby. So the Business for Good podcast essentially spotlights companies that are making money by making the world a better place. So I don't mean companies that have a neutral mission and that do some charity on the side. I mean, their products actually solve some serious social problem. So for example, if you think about the river of plastic that we dump into our ocean every single day, that is happening because we haven't invented new ways to either biodegrade plastic or to create plastic that is degradable from the beginning. Uh, So I interview companies like that are creating new 
types of plastics that are biodegradable, so they won't pollute the oceans. Or if you think about the problem that we have with nuclear waste, uh, for example, uh, nuclear energy is a great carbon-free source of energy. But the biggest problem and concern that people have with it is it creates this extremely toxic waste that is very dangerous and needs to, uh, needs to be contained for thousands of years. Um, and nobody's come up with a good way to do this. Right now, this stuff is just standing around in tanks at these nuclear power plants. Uh, so uh, we talk to companies that are creating safe ways to permanently store nuclear waste so that we can get this carbon-free energy source without the downside of risking uh, some major accident like we are currently risking right now. Uh, or uh, companies that are creating, uh, for example, cotton without the need to farm. Cotton is an extremely water intensive product, um, but if you can create cotton and without the need to farm, that's actually a big improvement. So these are all the different types of things that we talk about on Business for Good podcast. And it's a fun way to spotlight not only startups, um, but also titans uh, who are doing really good things with their businesses, whether that be the founder of Whole Foods, who we've had on the show. Um, we've had executives from McDonald's talking about certain things that they have done. Uh, we've had uh, the founder and CEO of Honest Tea. So it's an exciting show. Um, and if you want to check it out, I'd, I'd love to have you on there as a listener. Yeah, that is amazing. I, I love I love that you also work with other or or spotlight other companies that are doing good, kind of the same that you're doing. I think that if you can build a community around that, that obviously you can get the word out about doing all these positive things to help our environment, to help people. And there are so many more health benefits to it too. Can you explain, I know you talked about um, the comparison between the meat and, and uh, your product, but can you explain some of the health benefits uh, for each individual for switching to your product? Sure, well, let's put it this way. Uh, your number one risk of death is of heart disease. It's not of COVID, it's not of car accidents. Uh, it's, it's just heart disease. That's the number one killer of men and women in America. That's not to say COVID and car accidents aren't you know, risky. Uh, obviously, they are. But your chance of dying from those is far less. In fact, even at the height of the pandemic, more people were dying of heart disease than were dying of COVID. So we have to keep in mind that heart disease isn't just something that happens to you. It's not genetic. It's not something that just is in your family. Generally, dietary patterns are in your family. And so if you eat the way your parents did, which most of us do, then we're probably going to suffer the same problems that our parents did. That isn't to say there's no genetic predispositions at all, but it is to say that the reason heart disease rates have skyrocketed in recent decades is because our, of our sedentary lifestyle and our diet, uh, which is really high in, in meat. And it's not that the American genome has changed, uh, you know, in the last several decades. It's our habits have changed. In fact, studies show that when people, let's say, from other countries like in China or Japan move to the United States, their risk of obesity, heart disease, type 2 diabetes goes up. So their genes didn't change, but what they were eating did. And we have to recognize that we know for a fact that diets high in meat consumption are associated with increased risk of diabetes, of heart disease, of stroke, of various cancers, and more. One of the best things that we can do to reduce our risk of these so-called diseases of affluence is to simply to eat less meat. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to become a vegan overnight. Um, that's fine to do, but the evidence doesn't suggest that any amount of meat is going to give you a heart attack by any means. But it is to suggest that we're eating more meat than ever before. 
Americans right now eat over 200 pounds of meat per person per year. That's more than any culture in all of history has eaten. And it shouldn't surprise us that we are suffering the consequences. Not just bad for the planet, it's of course bad for animal welfare, but it's also bad for us. And so again, if people want to eat more plant-based foods, that's fantastic, I love them. Again, bean and rice burritos, lentil soup, that's awesome, great. Um, I would encourage you uh, to, to enjoy those foods. In fact, I'll give a plug for my wife's website, which is plantbasedonabudget.com. Uh, she also has many cookbooks that are really easy plant-based recipes, um, but that's great. At the same time, most people want to continue enjoying meat. And so the question is, how can we supply it without all of the cholesterol and the saturated fat that we know is correlated with these high incidences of heart disease? And there's too many people who have their lives cut short or their loved ones' lives cut short by stroke and heart attack. And one of the easiest ways that we could reduce that risk is simply by enjoying more plants and fewer animals in our diet. Yeah, and it's not to say that you can't, you have to go vegan or you have to be vegetarian. You can consume meat. Like you said, the issue is, is the overconsumption. And I think it's overconsumption of everything is a lot of the issue too. It's, you know, we're not just over consuming meat, we're over consuming sugar, we're over consuming uh, just everything in general. I think that's where a lot of our autoimmune disease com diseases come from, heart disease, um, cardiovascular disease, even, you know, diabetes, all of those things are related and linked to diet. So it's not necessarily that people have to completely quit eating meat altogether, but reducing the amount of meat. And I think, uh, I think a lot of my industry is kind of not to blame, but, but plays a huge part because a lot of people really push the consumption of protein, 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 eat protein, eat more protein. And although there is, protein in other things like your lentils, uh, beans, there are proteins in other things, but I think we don't think about that. I think we're all thinking about eat more chicken, eat chicken breast, constantly eat chicken because that's going to be your high protein or beef. Uh, but having an alternative for some meals, even just cutting down, I mean, there's eight, 8 billion people in the world. If every single person ate two, le you know, one less meal a week, of meat imagine the impact it would have on the entire world right it would have a it would have a huge impact gabby i think you're absolutely right and just to affirm what you're saying neither you nor anybody you've ever met is protein deficient protein deficiency is virtually un, uh, un just non-existent in america uh, we do not have a protein deficiency problem uh, maybe in some uh, third world countries where people can't get enough food there is but pretty much nobody you've ever met most likely uh, has protein deficiency. It's not a concern for you. However, what is widely and rampantly deficient in the American diet is fiber. Nine out of 10 Americans do not get enough fiber. And uh, having fiber deficiency is associated with all types of ailments, from colon cancer to more. It's not just constipation, it's cancer, it's heart disease, all these problems with fiber deficiency. And where do you get fiber? You don't get it from meat because meat has no fiber in it. Animals have skeletons to hold us up. Plants don't have skeletons, so they need fiber. That's what holds them up. So you get fiber from eating plants, not from eating meat. And so the protein obsession is interesting to me, um, you know, because you see like on the front of pack, ah, like 15 grams of protein or whatever. Um, but 
really, I think the question that we as Americans ought to be asking is not where do you get your protein, since none of us are protein deficient for the most part, it's where do you get your fiber? And you know, most people don't eat anywhere near enough fruits and vegetables, and that's where you're going to get your fiber. Whole grains, seeds, nuts, beans, lentils, fruits, vegetables, like that's where you get fiber from. And so if you want to do yourself a favor, and if you want to do the planet a favor, and you want to do animals a favor, it's really like the same thing for all of them. It's basically fewer animals and more plants. That, that's really what it comes down to. And it doesn't mean, again, like as you're pointing out, Gabby, that you have to go whole hog or no hog per se. Uh, it just means that fewer animals and more plants. And we want to create a world where most of the meat that people are enjoying is coming also not from animals, but we're not there yet. Uh, we've still got a long way to go. In the same way, we want to create a world where the energy we're getting is coming not from fossil fuels, but from renewables. We're not there yet, but startups and other companies are making progress. I I wanted to mention that you you mentioned the, you know, 15 grams of protein on whatever, whatever it is that you're getting, oat milk or who cares. But most people don't even know what that means. Most people yeah. don't know how much fiber you should be getting, how much protein you should be getting, how many carbohydrates, or that there's dietary fiber and regular fiber and dietary fiber is not digested. So you, you need that because it does clean out your colon because it does flush out your system and you need those things. And I, I don't think most people are eating enough fruits and vegetables and that, and that you're correct. You're not getting that too. So like you said, you know, you don't have to go whole hog or, you know, you can go half hog, whatever you want to go, but it's, <laughs> it's that array of colors, the array of foods that you're eating, that's going to create a healthier body inside and out, even, even your skin, you'll notice the better you eat, the better your skin is. And, you know, the more yeah. you're putting into your body, the worse you feel. So it's, the health benefits of switching to something like better meat instead of having a steak, even like one meal a week. Yeah, the impact on the earth, but the impact on you as well is going to make a huge difference. So I, I'm, I'm in total concert with you, Gabby. In fact, uh, just this weekend, I was talking with a woman who told me that uh, she stopped eating chicken, interestingly enough, since you mentioned chicken, she stopped eating chicken and she said she didn't eat much otherwise meat. But after she stopped eating chicken, she told me, this is just an anecdotal, right? There's no peer reviewed literature. It's just what one person told me. But for what it's worth, she told me that her skin cleared up, just like you were saying, and that she used to have uh, uh, health problems that she didn't have now. And that the biggest change for her though, that she noticed immediately was uh, from her skin, basically going from not clear to clear. And I don't know, like, I wondered, is it from the lack of chicken or was it because she's substituting chicken for whole fruits and vegetables that are doing something good for you? I, I don't know what, which it was. Probably um, but, both. <laughs> yeah, all, yeah, all maybe, of the yeah, above. Yeah, 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 maybe so. Maybe so. Good point. Um, but, they're, you know, you know, it's not, it's not the first time I've heard that. Yeah. So is there anything you want to leave our listeners with today that you think is important for them to know? I would just suggest the following that we oftentimes underestimate the power of our own choices and we think that things in the world just happen to us not because of us and uh, what we eat really makes a difference it makes a difference for the planet it makes a difference for our own personal health and how happy we will be and so one of the key ways that we can create a better future for humanity and for the rest of the species on our planet with whom we share it is to simply eat lower on the food chain. Again, it doesn't mean going cold turkey, it just means maybe eating less turkey. 
This means enjoying a more plant-based diet. And there's lots of options that make that easier than ever, whether you're looking for plant-based meat or meat coming from fermentation or whatever. There's lots of options that are better for us and better for the planet. And just in the same way that we need to move away from fossil fuels, we need to move away from factory farms. And these are ways that we can help do that. Thank you. I, I love that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, your website for uh, your company is the bettermeatco.com. Um, uh, yeah, be better meat. Sorry, sorry, Gabby. Bettermeat.co. Bettermeat.co. Sorry. Uh, okay. And cleanmeat.com is your book. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you, that's I knew it was one of them. <laughs> so uh, you can find uh, you can find Paul's book on um, cleanmeat.com. You can find out all of this information. You can see his uh, TEDx talks. I will post the link for that. And if you're interested in listening to his podcast, I will also post the link in the show notes for that as well. So you can listen, you know, talk, hear from the CEO of Whole Foods or McDonald's or whoever he had on his show. I, I've, I'm definitely going to give a listen to those because I think that that's fascinating and that such big people are trying to make such big impact. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. Gabby, it's my pleasure. Thanks for all you're doing to create a healthier world. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening, and we will see you all next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Fit Minute Podcast, Fitness for Real People, with your host, Gabrielle Mazar. If you would like more information on today's episode, you can find it in the show notes and on Gabrielle's website at www.destinationfitcations.com. Visit to keep an eye out for upcoming fitcations. Be sure to share the show, give this podcast a review, and subscribe so you won't miss an episode. Join us next week to hear more stories from people just like you. This has been the Fit Minute Podcast, Fitness for Real People with Gabrielle Mazar.